Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today Monica Cornetti, and she is a gamification master. She is the, well, she probably might not appreciate this word, but she's a guru. She is like, um, I think master is probably better than guru of gamification in the learning and development industry. If you have not heard of her, um, just go check her out and you'll be like, how did I never hear of Monica Cornetti? And I was actually introduced to her through um, Tabitha Dragonberry, who's in the academy. And she said, you guys just have to connect. And I am so glad that she did. And so Monica, will you please more formally introduce yourself to our audience? <laughs> Thank you, Robin. And I'm delighted also. So uh, Tabitha is actually going to be living really close to me in a short period of time. She registered and has been taking our virtual certification courses, but she's going to, I'm based in Austin, Texas. Our business is based in Austin and Tabitha is moving to San Antonio. So I'll get to actually meet her live and in person, which will be exciting for me. But uh, again, my name is Monica Cornetti. My company is Sententia. And Sententia Gamification is uh, what, the, what we go by in the marketplace. And we do gamification, train the trainer, certification, and then, of course, design projects. So I'm president of the company. I am also game master of an event called Gamecon, which is the International Conference for the Gamification of Learning. It's the only conference of its kind that specifically focuses on gamification in learning for students of all ages. And then we haven't figured out my new title yet, Robin, because I was like, what would I be? Am I the headmistress? And that's a terrible name, and I don't think I want to be that. <laughs> Because we're starting a new, we're launching this month, a Gamified Learning Academy. And so I don't know what my title will be with that role, but it's, uh, it is another Sententia product. But it, it, and we could talk about the Academy more on the call, but uh, that will be launching this month. And that is for both creators, so instructional designers who want some just-in-time learning on how to bring gamification into what they're doing. Then we'll also have... Uh, a section of the academy that is for workplace learning. So everything from emotional intelligence to Microsoft Word basics, these courses are fully gamified. So if you need like a business grammar course for someone in your organization, they can take a gamified business grammar course. So that'll be part of the academy that we're launching this month. So if anyone thinks of a good title for somebody who runs an academy, other than headmistress. Or HPIC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know what? I just put, I just called you the president, right? Because isn't that what yeah. they call like? Well, I don't know. The, well, heads? I guess you never, provost or. There you go. Dean. I don't think I qualify as a dean. So anyhow, we'll, we'll come up with something. Haven't, yeah. haven't worried about that too much. But that's me. That, that's basically who I am. Again, based in Austin, Texas. So now we got to go back because we're like, well, how'd you get into gamification and in our industry? 
And, um, and so usually my, my question is, how did you become an idol? How did you get into instructional design? Well, I imagine, Robin, uh, like a lot of your listeners, I tripped and fell. I, I had no, I, I knew nothing about adult learning. I came to it from a SME. I was a subject matter expert in strategic thinking and planning. I was the um, administrator at a large not-for-profit for 10 years, and I was brought in to help with the strategic thinking and planning. So developed the process, taught the process, implemented it at this not-for-profit for 10 years. And when I resigned that, I started getting invited by other not-for-profit and and for-profit businesses to help with their strategic thinking and planning, which I could do because I did that. I'd done it for 10 years one-on-one, -on -one, but then I got invited to speak on it. And this was a not-for-profit, like a regional meeting of, of uh, like an, an association type meeting. So but a whole bunch of different not-for-profits there. And my 45-minute topic was how to prepare your team for strategic planning. And again, because I was a subject matter expert, I, I was really confident in my content, but I was about 20 minutes into my presentation when I realized I had no idea what I was doing in presenting to adults and like I could work with you one-on-one -on -one and, and in a conference room or in an office or at a retreat, hammer out strategic planning but doing any kind of formalized presentation. And the clincher for me was right at about the 30 minute mark, I noticed a guy in the very back row was leaned back in his seat. I could see his finger was kind of pointing in the air and I what I realized he was doing was counting the ceiling tiles. And I realized that calculating the square footage of the room was more interesting than my seven point readiness checklist. And so I stopped at our bookstore on the way home from that. We had a little Hastings bookstore. There was one book on presentations or, or training or workshops for adults. And it was a gentleman named Mel Silberman, S-I-L-B-E-R-M-A-N. He's since passed. He's like the grandfather of brain-based learning long before anyone was talking about interactive. And that was my first exposure to the adult learning world. Uh, understanding what it means to teach or to uh, design for adults, why adults learn, how they learn, the power of analogies and activities. But with gamification, the reason that it, I got with that is because as I was learning this and starting to do more work with clients in workshops and conferences, I had three teenage boys who would be spending hours in the rec room playing video games with their friends. I couldn't get them to study for a Spanish test for 20 minutes, but five hours after they started playing games, I was kicking out their friends saying, Jacob, you gotta go home, we got school tomorrow. And they'd argue with me about how long they'd been playing, but I would just watch and say, what is this? You know, they've got these level ups and unlocks and boosters and gold coins and points and they kept losing and kept playing and it was competitive and collaborative so as i was doing designs for clients i just started adding some of that in i really thought i was the only person on the planet who was doing it like i did a payroll law class based on the story of snow white and the seven dwarfs I, 
I thought that was unique. And I got a call from a client in 2012 and she said, her, her name was Susan. I had worked with her on some strategic planning for her group. She said, I want you to do creative thinking for my managers. And she said these words, I know you do that gamification thing. And I think that would be the great way to do this creative thinking course. And I was like, Susan, that's brilliant. Let's do it. Gamification and creativity, they go hand in hand. But Robin, I was Googling gamification as I was saying that to her because <laughs> I had never heard the word before. I, I didn't know it was a thing that people were doing globally. Um, and so that was my first exposure in 2012, and I have never looked back. I have taken a deep dive, made the decision strategically to only focus on gamification for learning because you can do gamification for social good and you can do gamification for customer engagement. But because I just absolutely fell in love with the adult learning market and had continued to learn and grow in that area, that's where we focus at Sententia is primarily adult learning. I love it. And I just even love how your, like how your story ends with something that so many people miss about how you really can just drill all the way down to the niche of gamification for learning, the end. The end, right. And and even a little bit further is for adults. Although I have to say, Robin, right now that's being tested a little bit. So um, I have gamification master craftsmen who come from a teacher background. Like they were a K-12 teacher in the past, uh, middle school, elementary, high school. And although we've never focused on gamification design for that age groups, the K-12, for teachers or for students, I have had three meetings in the past week about how we need to expand our offerings because teachers read it, need it right now and students need it right now. And so uh, we are not, it's not a redesign, but there's some things that we have to change in our process because students at the K-12 age are learning things for a different reason than adults learn. And so we have to approach the design process slightly different, although the principles remain the same. So we're doing some um, iterations of our basic process to include that for K-12 teachers, whether it's a virtual setting that they're teaching in or live. And then I'm really excited because some of our master craftsmen already have games, game-based learning, gamification for first graders already developed that we can start putting out there free for teachers to use or parents who are homeschooling, uh, you know, a, a module in um, a math or a, a module in science using the elusive blue roan horse, which is actually a fantastic middle school teaching for genetics. I mean, just so much fun. It's hard for me to contain it. Although it's not, um, I, I'd use the word industry, but that's not the correct term, but that, that's not ever where I've wanted to focus in the past was that K-12 audience. But there's definitely a need and we have people in our net, in my side, our, our network of master craftsmen who can fulfill it. So I'm saying, I always just ask the question, how? Okay, well, how will we do that? How, how would we do that? How will we do it? And they keep telling me how. So <laughs> I guess we will. <laughs> I guess it's time to say, okay, all right, we will do it. Yeah. 
And so um, for those who, um, you know, maybe it's their first time hearing about gamification or maybe they have some ideas, you know, most people are familiar with games in general. Mm -hmm. What are some of like the common, you know, misconceptions about what gamification is for adult learners, right? For when you're doing workplace learning. Well, one misconception is that we can't bring fun into learning. You know, we're serious people. We've got serious work to do. And my response to that is, well, that's even more reason to bring fun into it. Because how do we learn best when we're not, if you think about the adult learning brain, as soon as we're put into a situation where we're, we're not sure, our fear brain kicks in. And when your fear brain kicks in, your creativity shuts down. So if I need real solutions, if I need people to learn something, to do something different, then it would be best if I could create that environment where it feels safe to learn, where it's not, you know, this is a two, you have to sit here through four days of learning about this financial information, and then you have to take a 200 question certification. And if you get less than 80% on it, you won't be certified and chances are you won't be able to work here. Well, I don't, we're doing a disservice to think that first off, anybody can sit through four days of financial training and retain what they need. And if I can pass the quiz or the 200 question certification, great. But that doesn't mean three months from now when a customer asks me about a product that we have that I'll know anything about it because we will have forgotten it by then because we're not using it. So why not create learning that is fun that gives people a chance to try it and fail and try again and fail again and try again until they get it right, just like in playing a game. Why don't we start at zero and work our way up by earning points rather than at a hundred and work our way down as I get questions wrong, right? Where we end up with a C average. Well, C average we don't know the information. We haven't learned it. And so we have it all backwards. So gamification is really taking what's fun about games, uh, the collaboration, the challenge, the uh, choice, the, the fun game uh, dynamics of like level ups and boosters and unlocks, and then moving that into a non-game context so that like in our um, our training on on grammar, we can go on a cross country journey of uh, visiting all the uh, roadside attractions, the unique roadside attractions. But we're learning grammar and picking up um, souvenirs along the way or bumper stickers, you know, and just keep learning and leveling up and having fun on this adventure rather than. Again, sitting through a boring training where everyone, we want to just stick a pencil in our eye and then take a quiz on it, but still not know any more about business grammar than when I started. That's a, that's a great way to, uh, you know, explain that part. And so when you, you know, there's also kind of like a difference between what they call serious games and gamifications and kind of what you've described in some ways is, um, also like, you know, a full immersive game of, you know, going down the road and picking up all these things. Would that be more closer to a serious game? Do you focus on 
adding gamification elements and doing that or you do you build more serious games where it's like it is a game and you happen to learn something um we we look at at sententia we consider gamification to be like a large like let's say golf umbrella under which a lot of different formats could fit so it is more than simply adding a game into your learning program which is a great thing to do. I'm not opposed to it. So like, let's just say, you know, one that we're all pretty familiar with is like Jeopardy. So we're doing a review round or an introduction to a module or um, uh, an end of session team, team competition where we do something like a Jeopardy game. That's, that's a game inside a learning program, which is perfectly fine to use. But gamification is more about I'm going to use the word thread or context. When we bring gamification into it, there is a, a theme, a context around which what everything happens. So, for example, we just finished a project that's uh, going to be deployed by a Fortune 5 company that uh, the theme is that there's an evil scientist who's going to release a virus that's going to... Uh, not not a computer virus, but more of a productivity virus. It's going to shut down computers. And so it's your job to stop him before that can be released. So you're, you're going through like this adventure of finding out where you're getting into his lab. You're encountering these different characters to get past these characters. You've got to learn some skills. So you've got to learn how to influence. You've got to learn how to ask the right questions. You've got to... Uh, figure out some on the creativity side of things. You've got to learn how to think properly. So there's learning that's happening the whole way, but you're inside what feels like a game because of the fantastic art that our artist has brought to it and the uh, instructional design and what she was able to do with the development of the program. It just feels like you're playing this game, but you are learning the whole way through so that you can get into the inner workings of the lab and get the computer shut down before that virus is released. Uh, but you've also just gone through a four hours of learning from start to finish. You've learned a lot along the way that you've had to put into practice to keep getting further and further into the inner workings of the lab. And what about those uh, people who say something about, you know, if they're going to have to apply certain skills in the real world and we're putting them in a fairy tale land and so the context is different from the way that they will apply it in the real world how do you kind of like balance that out or what do you say to that kind of uh remark i it's legitimate mm -hmm. and it's as legitimate as uh, it, whether we do a gamified program or not sending somebody to a six-hour training on um, uh, communicating with tact and professionalism, let's say, and having those difficult conversations, uh, they are going to get no more out of a six-hour training on that than they would in the gamified version, although the gamified version would be a lot more fun. But with it then, as part of our program, what we encourage and what we design for our clients is what we call nudging nudging so uh, like a gentle nudge so after the course is over we have uh 
scheduled review nudges that go out. So, hey, you know, when you remember when you had that uh, conversation with Ms. Paige Turner where you had to influence her, have you had a chance to practice that yet? Um, and so it's up to the managers and leaders or um, the learning department, although it's most effective if, if it's the managers who are continuing the learning after the training session because uh, one hour, six, it does not work. We get information, but information is not the application. It's just information. We've got to practice it. So if we think about, Robin, like the left brain, right brain, although that's not, it's, it's an analogy. It's not, I'm not saying left brain and right brain, but like information comes into your brain. Like, let's just imagine that's on the left side, but until the other interacts with it, the right, like retrieval and reflection and remembering and reviewing and skill practice on it, there's no learning that happened. That was just information in and, and Ebbinghaus with his curve of forgetfulness, you know, we know that you're going to forget most of that if we don't. Hasn't that happened, Robin, where like you'll, you'll create something and then you don't access it for a while and then you go looking and you say, and you find it on your computer and like, well, I already researched this. I already created this. But because we didn't act with it, we forgot we even had done it. It was, I do this, I create something that I even forgot I created it because it's been so long since I interacted with it. My brain has moved on past it. So um, it's all about the, the skill practice and the application of it. Um, I bet I can hear some people asking, well, well, this sounds really cool, um, adding gamification. And so if someone's new to instructional design and they understand, you know, the way that um, gamification can actually be added to mm -hmm. increase those behaviors that we know already drive learning effectiveness, what are some of like those principles that you would just kind of lay out high level, then go do some more research, but what are those things that you would tell them to consider uh, you know, right at the beginning to add in some, some yeah. gamification. Yeah. So basically there's three things, Robin. One is that we always start with the objective and more so than just the learning objectives. We're all familiar with learning objectives. We've, you know, struggled with them. <laughs> Every time we have to design a program, we struggle with the learning objectives. What, but we focus more on at the beginning, the business objective, how will the business, what's not happening now that needs to happen. So Again, when we talk about like applying this now in K-12 education, well, we don't have a business objective with K-12 education, right? So that's one of the iterations we have to do. But we always start with why, how is the business going to be better? Is this going to increase profit, decrease uh, time to market, market, increase customer satisfaction scores, decrease returns, whatever those are, uh, why is it not happening now and what can we do to get those behaviors started. And then with gamification, although the fun place to go to is the game mechanics, which are the things like the level ups and the unlocks and the boosters and the points and the badges and the uh, collaboration and the story and the design, rather than starting there, we have to start with who are we designing for? So we create learner personas. And the reason is, is because if you think about games that you 
like if you were thought about, if you think about your childhood and you think back of playing with friends and family members, there were games that you liked that your family or friends didn't like and vice versa. And that deals a lot with our core motivators, who we are and why we like to do things. Like if you think about favorite, I loved this story, the game of Clue, because oh, it yeah. was, you know, this mystery. I love mystery. But then it was the narrative. It was a really strong narrative, right? Professor Plum in the library with the candlestick. So whereas somebody else would be more about the strategy of like risk, right? So we have to have a persona because if I've got 176 game mechanics that I can bring in, I got to know who I'm designing for. Like I am not really motivated by a leaderboard unless I know I can win. <laughs> so if I if I if there's any chance that I can't win, your leaderboard does not motivate me at all. I don't even want to play. I don't I don't even want to play your game. Um, I am motivated by collaboration. I am motivated by challenge, like you know, being thrown a quest and having to to work through to solve that. Whereas, uh, and I like sandbox. I like discovering as I go. Whereas someone with high order needs like a checklist that they know exactly where they are and where they're going. So we, we design around personas. But my advice to get started is start very simple. Pick a few things and try and see how it works. Get feedback from your learners on what they like and what they don't like. And, and a, a must-have for us in gamification design is a, a theme or a context or a narrative and something that like it's all like if you think about a board game or a movie there's basically a plot or a theme or a reason for being and that's our number one thing that we bring into gamification for learning programs is that you're entering this separate world this magic circle how do you decide on your on your theme? Because I too am a huge fan of themes. I like I'm dressed up in a unicorn outfit and talked about how you can theme your courses on a on a yeah, live video. Cool. Yeah, because I just love um themes because they give you an entire box of creativity to mm -hmm. you know, I know it's restraints, but it still just um opens up so much because it's that thread is clear just kind of like you know instructional alignment becomes clear when you have a theme your visuals and your story and all that becomes you know there's that same thread that we're talking about and um so i am with you on the themes and so when they get to the point when they're like you know i need to make a theme how is it that you kind of look at your you know your learner analysis or your avatar right and, uh -huh. then you, and then you and you look at the content and the purpose and then you pick your theme do you just kind of like go with what's fun or do you have a you know a reason behind those things well usually there's i mean you try and make it have some kind of logical reason for being like i always joke i joke all the time like i am never ever ever gonna pick a zombie apocalypse theme to design around ever but i have master craftsmen and i have good friends who have and their, their programs are fantastic. I just don't enjoy zombies, so I'm not going to, nor do I know enough about them to design that intelligently. But if you think about the theme, one of the things that you said, Robin, is actually really key. It's like that theme does provide, it creates these constraints or boundaries. And haven't you found that that's when creativity happens? 
Yes. Like one of my one of my hobbies is fabric. I love fabric, specifically like um, upholstery fabric. So if I want to recover to cover a chair or to do some some kind of drapes or something, if I walk into one of those fantastic upholstery stores and if I had an unlimited budget and I looked at all that fabric, I would never be able to make a decision because there's too much wonderful in there. I, I can't. I love this. I love that. But if I have a really tight budget and so I have to go to like the remnant table, well, now I can get super creative because now I'm taking this plaid and this stripe and this floral and I'm putting it all together to create this wonderful creation that because of that limitation, I've had to think, how can I make this project still successful and still beautiful with the boundaries that have been given to me. And that's where creativity happens is because of those boundaries. So if we start thinking about the context, it does put that framework on it that this is how like gameplay happens. These are the rules and we have to work inside those. So I've seen everything from a very simple context of one of my favorite projects, uh, one of our designers, his name's uh, Brandon Tanguay. He at one point worked for Vistana, which is a timeshare. And every year, everybody has to take this one hour FCC compliance. No matter how long you've worked there, you have to take it. And I don't know if it's still that way because they've now been bought, but when they were. And so every year at Thanksgiving time, every employee who has a desk has to take this this compliance training. And so Brandon created this very, very simple narrative around Terry the turkey. So <laughs> Terry the turkey's in Thanksgiving woods. He's lost all his tail feathers. You've got one hour to get those tail feathers back. You have to get at least 21 tail feathers back on Terry for him, for you to, to pass this compliance. I'm doing air quotes of pass. But you have different paths. You can go in the, every time you, you, know, you pick up a tail feather, you can answer the question or move on to another one. But the, the constraint there is that one hour. And if you don't have 21 answers correctly at the end of that hour, Terry explodes on your screen. So Terry blows up. Which I know is like, all right, that's a little gross. But it like also, it. here's what happened is that they had 100% compliance. Years past, you know, HR was tracing people down like, you have to take this. You, we don't have an option. You'll have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. But people who didn't have time to take it once took it twice. Once just to watch Terry explode and the other time so they could pass it. I mean, that is an example of a perfect course because we got everyone everyone's in compliance it happened in the time frame it was supposed to and although it was silly and goofy people who complained about it in the past actually sat through it twice just so they could watch the turkey explode on the screen so I know I can hear people saying oh my I work with engineers I could never do Terry the turkey oh that would be awful well I don't know maybe you could if you've got some kind of compliance that everybody has to take, why can't we at least have some fun with it while we're doing it? Now, do you decide the theme or the game strategy first? Uh, it's never that clean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been, so we have a process. We have a, uh, we use a treasure map. 
It's got 30 stepping stones on it. It's trademarked. It's proven. It's been designed a thousands, you know, thousands of times. Uh, but e although it's a like you know stepping stones that you follow on a path, it's not necessarily that linear as you're actually designing. We have a little uh, mantra phrase that we teach to everyone that we uh, take through our trainings, and that simple phrase is "Start dirty, stay dirty." start dirty, stay dirty. So create as it comes to you. One of the things with gamification is that the mechanics come really early, like, oh my gosh, we can have a saboteur here and you didn't know they're a saboteur. So you think they're working with you, but actually they're working against you. And so you, how do you know? And yes, maybe, maybe we'll have a saboteur, but usually in the beginning, it's way too early to be deciding that's a good mechanic. So what we suggest is every idea you get, record that. You know, think of the traditional parking lot where you just park those ideas till later. And, and so we walk through the process. Again, we start with objectives, personas. Then we try and do context, how the learning is going to happen. Then add in the game mechanics. Game mechanics actually come very late in the design because the reason that most gamification projects still fail is because we want to start with the fun, the gameplay. But if we don't know who we're designing for or why we're designing it, we're just throwing mechanics. We, we say you're on the go ship to nowhere because we don't actually know that it's going to be effective. But I've been very late in the game where our, and I still haven't had the context. Uh, one example was we were in South Africa. We did a program for Mafeking University. We had already designed the full player journey and I just could not get a breakthrough on the context. And we were driving somewhere. It was about a three-hour drive back. And I remember I was just thinking, the only thing I could come up with, do you remember? I think it was laughing. Do you remember that with Goldie Hawn? Like there was like a, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. Do you remember that little, like, there, I don't know if, I'm probably dating myself here, but I, I don't, thinking, but I'm with you. Yeah, you know, like there's an angel whispering good things in your ear and a devil on the other side. And I was like, that is so culturally specific and it's not going to work with this age demographic or culturally. But fortunately, I had seen just a few weeks earlier the Pixar movie Inside Out, if you remember that's that fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking, oh, well, that's a little bit more along a plot we could use because the only reason that the objectives weren't being achieved were uh, basically because people weren't taking the time to get the things that were required to, for, it was for uh, compliance within an organization. And so it wasn't that it was too difficult. It really was, they just weren't doing it because of the time factor. So they like, they were their own worst enemies like procrastination. And um, so we, we created just, Actually, the students, the, the graduate students created the full art and the characters for it. And we had like tenacity. And um, so it, I was able to draw from that plot line, but we were very late in the design before I ever got it. And I, I really struggled with it. It was until I was in one of those places where I really wasn't thinking about it, where the idea came to me. So it, it's never as clean as you'd like it to be. That's for sure. And whenever you think about your game mechanics, and I and I bring this up because um you know I wrote my dissertation on gamification of online corporate training, and so I built a game, and um you know 
and I, you know, follow like Richard Lander's gamification theory framework or whatever. Um, but I built a game just to see, you know, were the completion rates higher? Cause it mm-hmm. was like, uh, it was software training. Mm-hmm. And, and so what I saw was, you know, the only thing um, that I noticed as far as like anything that was significant was that they spent more time in the gamified version than they did in the other version. But as far as, um, you know, completion rates or any of that kind of stuff that you'd want to measure as far as um, the course goes, none of it was more significant. And what I learned from that is like, if I wanted them to spend more time, which is what I was measuring, I should have added points, for instance, or whatever, um, to how much time they spent on the course, right? So I was actually kind of like, putting the mechanics on the wrong thing because I was trying to measure, you know, how much time they were in there, but I didn't reward them in the game for how much time they would spend. So it didn't oh, even got it. Right. So it didn't even make any sense. So I'm so my point is is like, do you ever think about like, I'm gonna add points because I want them to do X behavior longer in the course, or is it just to kind of keep them interested in, and motivated to complete and have fun? Well, that's a really good question, Robin. So if you can think about mechanics, uh, so let's imagine that you have an action you want somebody to do. And so that action's in the middle of the equation and your mechanics are on one side or the other or sometimes both. So your mechanic is either a trigger that would trigger someone to take the action you want them to take or it's on the other side, giving feedback, recognition, reward for an action taken. So, and to get people to keep coming back, every action does not require a reaction. So if you think about, you know, gambling addiction, it's because it's intermittent. You don't always win, but you win enough to keep going back and and play in some more. So if we think about a mechanic, like, so for example, Um, a countdown clock might be a trigger to get somebody to take the action of get started. You've got, you've got three minutes to solve this problem. Now, when I say countdown clock, I'm not saying that everybody should put a countdown clock into their training. I'm just using it as an example (laughs) because a lot of times that creates huge anxiety for learners. And if it doesn't need to be there, then we shouldn't put it in. So for example, if it's like a safety or uh, some kind of emergency training or maybe even OSHA where they do need to think quickly, like they've got to know and they've got to act now, then a countdown clock can be effective. But we don't want to just put it in there because I find it delightful to put people into an anxiety mode, right? That's mm-hmm. that We call that self-hugging. So uh, that, but it could be a trigger to get them started. Uh, just like a spinner board is a trigger to see how, how, you know, like how many spaces you would move or a dice that you roll that triggers the, starts triggering the interaction of something happening either on the screen or with other learners. So the triggers create the action and then after it comes feedback, recognition, or reward. So those can be things like in-game currency that they can spend in-game achievements that they build enough up that they get an unlock or a booster that they could 
say, use now or save for when they get to a difficult level that they can't get past. It could be badges. It could be points. But you always want to be um, the behaviors you want more of, which, again, when you think about gamification, oftentimes we reward behaviors that we get unintended outcomes. So let's say, for example, uh, you want people to make comments on a discussion board. Well, if I give points for every comment you make on a discussion board, the chances of the quality of your comments is going to go down significantly because you're getting points for quantity, not quality. So we always want to reward to get the behaviors we want more of. So how can we get the interaction? And, and so a lot of places, you know, a lot of times you see that by the voting system then, right? Uh, it's you're voted up or down on the, was this, was this helpful, right? Like yeah. when you read an Amazon review, was this helpful? And that moves that review up or down based on the feedback of, yeah, I found that very helpful or no, this didn't answer my question at all. So, um, when you think about your design, it goes back to what we were saying earlier is the mechanics are the fun part. So when we put mechanics in without thinking through what are we, what's our objective, what are we trying to create, then we don't necessarily get what we were trying to create. The mechanics encouraged a different behavior. There's a lot of games that are built out in things like Articulate Storyline and mm -hmm. Captivate. Mm -hmm. And so do, and so I would say like, you know, mostly you can do a lot of things just with those tools, but like for your company, do you find that you have to go find, you know, like a Unity developer or, mm -mm. okay. Yeah, we stick mostly, we stick with the authoring tools that uh, can then be uploaded to a company's LMS, you know, because we have to put it into a SCORM package to, so we, uh, we use primarily Captivate, Storyline. Um, we do have a gamified platform that we use for our certifications and our events uh, that is not yet SCORM compliant, but we are in the process of it's happening right now. And that uh, is created by one of our colleagues. Uh, his name is Bernardo Latafe, and he created a platform called Blue Rabbit. So it's one word, blue and rabbit, and bluerabbit.io. And it's a fantastic platform for bringing gamification into learning. It's just not SCORM compliant yet. So for a lot of organizations, it doesn't work for what they're trying to do. But Bernardo was an example of, a, he was a former teacher and he designed this for his classroom because he was not happy with the quality of, um, you know, getting a grade does not mean that you know the information. He wanted them to be able to play, to learn. And so, um, to answer your question, for corporate training, we, we stick with the basic authoring tools. University settings, you usually have like Blackboard or Canvas that you're uploading to, which can feel limiting, but we have seen these amazing designs. You just have to, we always create around what we want rather than what the LMS or, we create the theory first of what we want, and then we figure out how we're going to make that happen. And my 
designers, you know, we tease because they like to say to me, this isn't Fortnite, Monica. They can't yeah. actually jump on the party bus and go over to it's not Fortnite. And I'm like, well, okay, they can't actually, it's not Fortnite, but can't we make it feel like it's Fortnite? Can't we like kind of, you know, we start here and the brain will connect the dots, you know, that we know that's how we got there. I mean, I think there's so much we if you think about the power of my mom lining up four kids on a couch to listen to Peter and the Wolf. Do you remember Peter and the Wolf, the music? Uh, dun, 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 dun. The oboe and the clarinet. We had a whole movie uh, with zero images because it was all just the audio that came with it. Our brains were quite capable of filling in the gaps that we didn't, it didn't have to be spoon fed to us. And so we, our learners are smart. Our learners, their brains will, will create a lot for us. We don't have to spoon feed them. And so we don't have to be limited by what the LMS can or cannot do. I can, right. sorry, you can see I get passionate about it, but <laughs> I just, I think that our, we're just such magnificent creations and our learners deserve so much better than what we've given them. And, and they can, they are smart. They can do so much more than we give them credit for. And even just that approach, you know, where you design, um, you know, that learning experience based on exactly those things, like what are you trying to solve? Who's your audience? What's the design before you even think, like just pretend like technology is not going to be an issue for you. What would you create? And that's, I mean, that's the same kind of approach you want to take for any kind of instructional design. So it's, Nice to hear you do the same thing for uh, gamification. Right, because if we start yeah. thinking that way, Robin, everything starts looking the same, doesn't it? Like everything's inside this one little box of, well, our LMS can't do that. Well, it's not 508 compliant. Well, it's not this. Well, it's not that. Well, it's not. well then everything looks the exact same, dry, boring, dull. So yes, we can make it 508 compliant and still make it fun. It, it still... and. In fact, that's one of the things that we're bringing into the Gamified Learning Academy is one of our designers, he's just, I mean, like he's the go-to guy. People have questions about 508 compliance and Ian knows the answer. And so he, we're going to create courses so people can, because they're legitimate questions. They are, they, are, they are legitimate questions of how do I do this? I don't know how to do this and still be compliant. And... We just have to figure those things out and Ian's become a master at it. So it's going to be very helpful for people as they're doing their design projects for work. Well, so now, now we have to talk about it. So people's <laughs> interests are peaked and they're like, okay, yeah, that's it. That's some high level information about gamification. But if I want to get in and really learn it, um, I want to go to Monica's gamification Academy. So tell us like, tell us what it is, tell it where we can find it. Um, what's it like? All well, things? you can find it now, but it's, we're certainly not ready for you. We're like definitely still under construction. So it's called, uh, it's gamifiedlearningacademy.com. So it's, it's got courses for creators. So people like us who are designing and creating and facilitating courses They'll be both asynchronous out there, so you can just go take them anytime. We're going to have free courses out there. We'll have courses that are done in a virtual instructor-led so that you'll have an opportunity to have still like face-to-face -face contact with the uh, expert and then be given design challenges to work on. 
And then, so that's on the creator side, but then we're also going to have those workplace learning courses that are gamified so that any, if you're taking emotional intelligence or some kind of, you know, management skills for first time managers or Zoom basics, Microsoft Excel basics, um, all of those will you'll be able to learn and still be in a gamified environment to learn it. So uh, we're going, we have topics, everything from objectives to narratives to the different authoring tools, compliance, game design, mechanics, aesthetics. Um, it's, we'll have a full catalog of courses. We won't have it, the full catalog when we open, when we launch, but we'll continue to keep adding to the catalog each month as our designers design and release new courses out there. Every month, that's incredible. And so what's, what's first on the docket? Like what's your launch date? And what's-, what's Well, our launch date do? is September 1st. Oh, wait, it's the, uh, right now it's past <laughs> <laughs> But um, so first up is uh, some, uh, some basic courses. So we're going to put up some basics with authoring tools. So like, uh, with storyline, what are some basics that you can do if you're, because, you know, e-learning is so important right now. Uh, what are some basics that we can do with a virtual format, like using Zoom? Can we still bring gamification? Can we make that gamified? Uh, we'll have our level one and level two certifications on there. So those will be structured towards specific audience. So, um, gamification basics for how to do the design for both teachers and then adult education and corporate training. Uh, we will have things like um, creating your learner personas and uh, taking your instructor-led training at gamified courses and how do you take that online because a couple of our master craftsmen they were in a unique position when COVID hit. They did gamified instructor-led that could not be done in a virtual format, just couldn't. And guess what? They now are, right? Yeah. Because we, we, were, we now had constraints, right? So now we had the constraint of, well, it has to happen virtually or you, you're, literally your business will shut down. So through months and months of trial and iteration, some of these are now to, I mean, just award winning, worthy of just how they were able to take this idea of it can't be done in a virtual format. Well, guess what? We have to. So how do we do that? Right? It's when those constraints come up that we have to start thinking, okay, well, we thought it couldn't be, but what if we did this? And what if... You know, we went through a lot of iterations. Well, what if you send them stuff in the mail? Well, that starts getting complicated. But what if, what if they don't have a printer? Or, you know, how do you get it down to the tools that people would have in their home, most people that they could use, you know, basically with what they have in their house? Um, and that's what it's, it's moved that far in that short period of time to this masterful, masterful courses. So we want those to be available to people because we're all facing that, right, Robin? We're oh, yeah. like, can't be done. I, I, just don't how, I don't know how you're going to do that. Can't be done. Well, it has to be done. So how, how do we do it? Now, you've, this is not going to be your first time doing the 
you know, the gamification type of academy, though, because you've been giving out badges mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Was that all in person before or? Uh, it was a combination. We we work a lot with ATD chapters, Association of Talent Development. So we have a unique program set up for chapters where we do a revenue share program with them because they provide, of course, professional development for their members and guests of their chapters. So for years, we've been doing uh, where we go and work with a local chapter, like with ATD Atlanta, for example, and you know, all across the country. There's chapters all across the country. But fortunately, we also had a strong virtual presence. So we were already doing things virtually when COVID hit. We've been doing our level one and level two certifications virtually for years and other courses. Our level three, though, has always been a live mastermind, fully immersive lockdown. We take over a, an inn in a small town and we have full control of every square footage of that inn and chefs coming in and preparing meals three days, just complete immersion. And in our minds, Robin, that was the only way it could be done. We really felt very strongly that we could not do a virtual level three mastermind, but we did in June and we explored some different platforms because one of the one of the benefits of a live event is this magic circle that's created, right? It's not just mm -hmm. about the instruction that's happening formally. It's about those, you're sitting next to somebody in, in a session or you're in line together at a coffee shop, right? So it's these connections that are made, this networking, this, um, again, I'll go back to sandbox learning that you weren't expecting to learn it. And here all of a sudden you did. And uh, so Fortunately, with the platforms that we were able to bring into it, the we had, um, I think we had 16 people. They, I, I said to them the first week, I can open up and keep this open for you all day. So if you want to make appointments to meet people out here at this platform, we used Remo. Sorry, I don't know how to spell it. Um, I think it's R-H-E-M-O. Um, it, it has like little tables so you can move from table to table and uh, so you can network freely. And so they would go out there in the afternoons after we were done and the students were out there, they set it up themselves, which is exactly what we wanted because that's, they worked on their design projects together every day in the afternoon out there and everybody was there so they could work at a table by themselves or they could, you know, move back and forth between tables and collaborate. And it was just, we have a WhatsApp group that we create for our level three participants and that virtual group from June, they still talk to each other almost every day. There is something going on in that WhatsApp group of, uh, Hey, I found this and Hey, it's, it's, it's Josh's birthday or someone has a unique hop, you know, it's just, they have become this super tight knit group and they're from across the globe. Some of them, they may never meet in real life. And I would have told you it was impossible to create that if you had asked me that in March. But we, we figured out that, well, nothing's impossible. We just have to look at it differently to create what we want, right? Oh, my gosh. In person in the end sounds incredible. I'm like, I want to I go play along. And so well, we're doing one in November, Robin. So you have to, yeah, we're, we are still, we are determined. We're going to do 
uh, live in November. It's going to be a small group though, so we can social distance still and everybody feel comfortable. But one of the benefits of the virtual is that uh, we have students from Jordan and Bangladesh and Taiwan and Romania. And they haven't been able to come for the live mastermind in the past. But now since we've gone virtual, we really can have a global mastermind group, which is fantastic. It opens so, up so much possibilities. I'm so curious. So um, what are your, I mean, so level one, level two, they probably just bring that back to their work or their freelance business. But what do your game masters go on to do? Well, a lot of it is uh, inside the organization. So for example, uh, one of our master craftsmen, his name's Josh Barrow. He just finished his level three certification uh, because we do a mastermind group and then they have 90 days that we continue coaching and then they do the implementation. So Josh just launched his gamified, it's, um, it's not compliance. It's one of those that I have no idea what he's talking about really, but he works for, <laughs> he works for Pfizer. And so uh, for they're compliant, like, like everything's an acronym and a code, right? And so if you work in that area, you've got to know how all these acronyms and these codes work together. And it's, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. And you just wonder, how can anyone learn this? But he, he actually created this beautiful, beautiful, masterful journey. And he used the Wizard of Oz. One of the, one of the great place to get narrative ideas is public domain stories. So at gutenberg.org, they have thousands of these public domain stories, a lot of which we already know, like The Wizard of Oz. That's a public domain. The copyright is expired on that. So the original art, the original story is free to use. And Josh wow. was able to bring that into this program for Pfizer that is just so the imagery of it because he was able to use this original artwork which is so different from what we're used to seeing it's not better or worse just so beautifully different and uh, you've got you've got all these characters that are woven into this to this this learning program and it's fully interactive completely gamified uh, it, it's just a delight so to answer your question like we've had people that create academy, I mean, uh, university level courses like uh, Brown University. In fact, there's won an international award then from Training Magazine for best use of gamification overall in learning. They just had this beautiful, again, a lot of it's the design, the art, but it was a semester long. They've done two now that are fully gamified. Two of our master craftsmen this year, one's in Canada, one's in California. They're taking their courses back to university level courses. So some are, are um, independent designers who are creating courses for clients where to be, to be offered like as an out of the box and others are specifically doing it inside their organizations. That's wonderful. So it's, um, say it one more time, it's Gamified Learning Academy. Yeah, Gamified Learning Academy. All right. And so that'll, that'll be, by the time the podcast is released, maybe it'll be ready to go, like, uh, well, month? we're, I, I'm, I am saying October 1st at this point. Um, we, we have a, our launch plan in place, but I'm just not, 
I'm not, I think we need some more iterations done before we're ready to launch. So I'm the one holding it back right now. Although I do firmly believe that, you know, if you, if you wait till you're really happy with your launch, you've waited too long. Like if you're mm -hmm. not kind of embarrassed by it, <laughs> you've waited too long because we'll never get to a place where we're really happy with it. And so I think you need to be a little bit embarrassed by what you launch. But I, I'm, I'm a little, I wouldn't be even comfortable with that as a guideline right now. We just have a little bit more work to hammer out. There's too much we don't know. Um, and it's mostly the platform that we've selected that we're running the, that we're running the Academy on. Uh, it's it's robust, so there's a lot we don't know yet that we're still figuring out. Is there gamification in your gamification training? Yes. So um, <laughs> yes, there is. So in the uh, creator side, the courses might just be a real quick micro learning, so that might not be gamified. But on the workplace learning side, so any of the courses that you would want an employee to be registering for, those are completely gamified. Right. Right. But it's, but you know, like the training part, it's going to be. Uh, it depends on, not all of them will be because it just depends on what the content is. Like maybe you just need to learn real quickly about, like you've heard about the uncanny valley and you want to know well, what is this uncanny valley and what does that mean for you, for me? But we don't really need to gamify that. That's just a real quick, this is what it looks like, this is what it means, this is what the implication is for your designs, here's some examples, and in seven minutes you've learned what you needed to learn about the Uncanny Valley. Okay, so I know people are going to probably want to start um, learning and reading more like right now, and so yes, join the GamifiedLearningAcademy.com, but in the meantime, what are some like books or resources that you would recommend? I know there's a ton out there, but what's like the things like, you know, it's gamification and learning and you're like this book, this, this is what's going to, you know. Okay. That's really good. So um, I would, so of course I recommend that you start with our website. So that is Sententia Gamification. So Sententia is spelled S as in Sam, E-N as in Nancy, T-E-N like 10. And then TIA. So Sententia is actually Latin for Quest. So, yes, those four years of Latin in high school paid off for that at least. So, uh, <laughs> sententiagamification.com. And so, there, of course, we have our blog. So, those are just quick hit articles on everything from a variety of different mechanics, how to use them, collaboration versus competition, basically uh, just a whole uh, genre of ideas in a whole set of different genres for gamification design. But then we also have our podcast also, Robin. And so with our podcast, which you'll see the link at Sententia Gamification, we have case studies. So with every podcast, we produce a case study to show you what that looks like. So for example, Kyle Miller, one of our designers, created an escape room for Vitalant, which is uh, they collect and process blood and plasma. And so when you, it was created in storyline. So when you listen to the podcast about how Kyle created it and what he learned from the different data points, of course, the first question everybody has is, well, yeah, but so what does that look like? So we created the, we create the case studies with the podcast so you can actually download it and see what it looks like. 
So, because that I think makes it easier, don't you? Like, I hear what you're saying, Monica, but what does it look like? What does it look like? Mm -hmm. So for every case, for every podcast we have out there, we have a case study that you can download. So you can, you can get that image, those images in your brain of the possibilities, you know, that it, it could look like this, or you could decide, hey, that's a great place to start, but I'm going to take it this direction. I see like even um, it, on your thing, you can, it says that you can reserve your spot for your, for the training. Is that still open too? Uh, for? For like on Sententia gamification. So we have, we have um, our, you mean our virtual certifications? Yeah. Yeah, so we have level one. We just started one this week. It started September 1st. Our next level two starts in on September 22nd, I think. And then our level three is November. That's our last level three for this year. But the prerequisites pre, pre for the three are one and two. Uh, but we also have the schedule out there because we have, of course, you can see we work with ATD chapters uh, and are still doing those revenue share programs with ATD chapters. We're doing them in a virtual format now. And actually it's working out great for the chapters because now there's not the, I mean, work teams from across the country, like if I'm a member of the Research Triangle area ATD, I can also get my three team members who are in Wisconsin, California, and Pennsylvania to also take the course with me. So uh, it's really, the virtual formats are turning out really nicely for the chapters. We're really excited about how they're going. It was so exciting. And um, so I think, you know, my last question for you, cause I could just keep you on this podcast all day long just to um, serve my own needs. <laughs> but um, <laughs> my last question would be, what is your best and final like tips and advice for those who are new and entering, you know, instructional design, corporate instructional design, um, especially, you know, with your background and understanding about um, gamification, what would you tell them? Well, I think that, I think any instructional designer who has an understanding of, of what they're doing with instructional design, you probably already have a lot that you could do today like you could do analog or very low tech gamification and, and start understanding how it could work. Uh, always start with, again, what's your objectives? What are you trying to achieve with it? But I think the easiest is to just play some games. And I know a lot of people, like they don't play games. They're, they're not game players. But you know, just download one of our love for our master craftsmen. We do 30 days of pre-engagement before the actual mastermind one of those challenges is to download some games and play them because the best way to learn about what's fun is to play and say, no, that wasn't fun. Or I don't know why this is fun, but it really is. Why do I keep coming back to this? Or this was too complicated. The artwork was beautiful, but they didn't give me hints. And so we start seeing what works and what doesn't. And then you start seeing how that could be tied into your learning programs and as you're bringing any kind of gamification in, play test early and often. Like put it in people's hands and say, what do you like about it? What don't you like? Did it, did it make you want to come back? Um, get their feedback on it. Our joke here at Sententia Gamification is that you have to be willing to let somebody tell you that your baby's ugly. 
because because <laughs> they will. And and you'll be like you're like I just love this, and they'll say no, that baby's got a face only a grandmother could love, and it's not that because we get that feedback we have to change everything we're doing, but we want to be open to what is working and what is not for our target audiences, so that if we can just keep in mind that iteration is part of design, expect that you'll make some changes and just look for what those changes are. And if that's part of your design process, then you don't have to fight it. You know it's part of the design process. We'll, we'll be changing some things. We don't know what those are yet, but we know we will. And as soon as we put this in some playtesters' hands, they're going to tell us what needs to change. And then that way we can make the program even better. So it's just you just got to, you know, you have to get, let your mind get to a place where you can accept the feedback. That's wonderful. That's, that's great advice. Monica, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all this wonderful insight with um, the idle nation, if you will. That's so really great. Thank it. you for having me, Robin. I'm delighted that you invited me. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.